On today's episode of Sam Talks Telehealth, I'm speaking with Dr. Tony Stearns from IRX Reminder. Tony is an expert in the senior care and aging technology space, and he's got such a thoughtful way of thinking about the ways we can use tech with the senior population and also to be able to use tech for mental health and really having better mental health sustainability with our medication. So without further ado, let's dig right into the podcast. Hey, Tony, welcome to the show. So excited you're here today. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Okay, so let's, I'm really excited to dig in. You do age tech, all these different kinds of things, but give me a brief, you know, information about yourself so my audience knows who you are and the kinds of things that you're up to. Sure. Um, Well, I I guess my chief role is as the chief uh, executive officer of IRX Reminder, which is a a company that is uh, commercializing a technology built around an Internet of Things pill dispenser, an app, and a cloud that does um, medication management, really um, training people to take their medications on time. We're we're focused in the mental health space today. Uh, I also uh, moonlight as a business professor. Uh, My training is in industrial organizational psychology. And then I also have a background as an engineer. Um, So that's, uh, I, I guess my major community activities are led by my role as Secretary General of the International Society of Gerund Technology, which is how I'm engaged in uh, aging technologies, aging-focused technologies. I love that. And I, you know, we had some conversations. So one thing that you've talked about, you use the words um, social prosthetic and cognitive prosthetic. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that is and what that means? Sure. So uh, I don't know, it's probably been 15 years now that we've uh, began work uh, with Cameron Camp uh, and uh, who had brought the idea that we could apply Montessori methods uh, to uh, work in the dementia space. So we, we worked on a, we wanted to develop a, a really easily deployable activity that would be highly engaging to people with dementia. So uh, we developed uh, ultimately a program called the Memory Magic Program, which is uh, a cognitive intervention therapy. And essentially it's sort of like a word bingo game with a plastic board with windows that you pull down uh, when you see the word. And it was built around this cognitive task where you, uh, you have like a, a, stim, a stimuli, uh, which is a fill in the blank stimuli, like um, uh, uh, Tom, Dick and blank. So it might be the, for those of you who don't know, it's Harry. <laughs> and uh, so you have to be, the, uh, that's a good example of, of maybe someone who would be, you know, less than 30 to have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, but if you were over 40 or so, you would know instantly about this movie from the 70s um, and the expression. <laughs> uh, uh, so anyways, uh, that, that fill in the blank, uh, finding the word would be a low cognitive task. So you find the word uh, Harry on the, on the board, pull the window down. Uh, knowing the answer to the, the riddle, so to speak, the, uh, is the second level. And then we might have a conversation um, like... Uh, 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 did, does anyone here at the table know someone named Tom? 
And one of my best experiences I ever had was uh, we were training a group of, uh, of uh, relatives uh, to help uh, learn how to play this game because it, it, it's a way of getting a lot of just memories without being any of the pressure of like, do you remember my wedding? I don't know who you are, so no, uh, but it's your daughter, right? Like that's, that's a horrible thing that happens in dementia. But if, if uh, so this uh, gentleman's son was named Tom. Um, and so the, the person looked at, at this person with dementia and said, do you know anyone named Tom? And, and uh, we had trained her to just wait. And he like processed for a really long time, like 20 seconds, which seems forever. Uh, and then he finally said, my father. And, and the aide looked really disappointed uh, because he didn't, you know, he didn't say his son who was sitting right next to him. And, and you look over to his son and he is beaming. And he goes, no, that's fantastic. I'm named after my grandfather. Oh, which always chokes me up a bit. Yeah, because it's so special, right? And that's yeah. that's what I love when we talked about that technology because caregivers and, and family members, you know, it's challenging to see them struggle in that way. And so that you've designed these things that find the folds or the circuitry that is there by using these different associations, I think is fascinating. Yeah, so it, it, it using the long-term memory, uh, the, these familiar phrases from your youth, uh, the ability to read, all these match well with, with uh, the, the things that remain from in dementia. So um, you, uh, you have a great uh, scaffolding on which to draw on if you, can, if you can lay the right tarp over it or the right board, floorboards to walk across. And that's, that's, what, that's what all the technology, so to speak, built into this seemingly simple word bingo game uh, becomes uh, really meaningful. Uh, the, the staff also have uh, like cohort knowledge that we've given them to be able to speak to those, those issues. So like we can, we can give them the first line to How High the Moon, which is a song that everyone 80 and 90 will be able to sing around the table. You won't have any idea, but if you start in on the words, you know, by the light, or whatever it'll it'll begin. Well, that's by the light of the silvery moon. That's not how high the moon. But okay, <laughs> that's like that's so cool. I absolutely love that. And so that one's called that's magic memory. What the, is that the, called? The memory? memory magic program. Memory magic. Memorymagic.com. You okay. can uh, used in many many facilities, really throughout the world now. But uh, uh, I love yeah. that. I love that. Now let's let's flip over to the. Um, IRX. And when we had talked about it in this behavioral health space, what's fascinating is, you know, we see, like, I think we all know around different kinds of time medications or medication dispensers. And then we know the side of the house of the medical side of the house of remote patient monitoring. But when we talk about mental health and meds, obviously we know they're incredibly important that those are tied together. And so tell me a little bit about how could we use um, IRX in this sort of RPM mentality of meds, um, mental health, and monitoring people. Yeah. So first of all, the the the, the Internet of Things pill dispenser device that I call a pod, so that uh, like so um, pill dispensing device PDD pod. <laughs> um, the 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 pod 
um, is really designed to train you to take your medications on time. So it, it should improve self-management and our studies have shown that it does. Uh, and the way that works is we utilize a dosing window so that when you, uh, at the beginning of the dosing window, the pod light comes on. I have one here. Oh yeah, let's see. Uh -oh. This is the pod. Okay. So, so when it's uh, time to take the medication, the light comes on okay. like that. Hopefully you can see that. Yep, I and, um, uh, the uh, When you do that, you take the medication, uh, you, you hold place and tilt it on your hand. Um, and then uh, the pod shuts down and you're done for the day and it creates a record that is shared with the electronic health record. And, but if you're forgetting, that's when you get an alert to your smartphone or your smartwatch or your smart speaker in the corner. And it, it reminds you, and only when you're completely missing your medications uh, is uh, an intervention triggered. And what happens is we, we create a, an intelligent action list that is added to the record uh, that, that is shared with the practice managers, and then they can decide to intervene. And that leads to more revenue and better engagement. So we help the patient be trained to take their medications on time. We help the staff to be aware that there's an issue with not taking their medications uh, that's relatively effortless for them. And then the agency gains more revenue from the additional activities of keeping patients engaged because normally they're losing about 25% of their patients to disengagement. Yeah, so we talked about, let's stop there for a second, make sure the audience, because um, you and I had talked before. So this is specific in behavioral health organizations. And tell us a little bit about that 25% attrition rate. What does that mean in for behavioral health organizations? Why is it important? Yeah, so 25% of patients are dishing, disengaging from treatment. Uh, usually uh, people who, are, who, who stop taking their medications are most at risk for this. So if we imagine someone with bipolar disorder uh, not taking their medications, and that leads to, to uh, less stable behaviors that might lead to problems with employment or housing or some of these other things. Uh, but the idea is that if we know that you haven't taken the medication, it might lead to a social worker visit and, and a discussion so that, uh, you know, I'm looking, I, I'm trying to be in a relationship with someone, I need more emotional range. So to get that, I stopped taking my medications, but like, let's renegotiate when and how and the kind of medication that we're taking so that you can have more emotional range, but still not be out of control. So uh, those kinds of, that invites a discussion that leads to continued engagement. So yeah, that's the idea. I love that. And I think it's really, I think it's really important because I, Certainly in behavioral health, I mean, my audience knows uh, there's um, bipolar throughout my family. So I've watched my family come on and off meds and it's really a challenge there. And so I think, I think oftentimes when we think about med management and healthcare, we're so focused on the medical side, right? Like is the heart failure patient taking theirs or is the older patient taking theirs, which of course is all very important, but we know with major mental illnesses, it takes so long to get you to the right place that then if you're not taking it, you know, instability, jobs, things like that you mentioned. So I love that this intervention is really focused in that mental health space. 
a short break in today's podcast to talk to you about more resources for your telehealth services. I've got the telehealth toolkit, and that's a great resource with checklists for your video visit setup, the team, your dream team that you'll work with, technology considerations when you're thinking about what you're gonna create for your services, and then I also bring you through a really deep dive into the workflow redesign. So the telehealth toolkit is simple checklists to be able to really take you through what you need for your telehealth easy setup and being able to quickly get on camera with the same confidence that you have in your in-person clinics. You can find the telehealth toolkit at www.telehealtheasy.com forward slash toolkit. Now with that, let's get back to the podcast. And what do you see? Because, you know, mental health organizations can often be, you know, different funding paths. There can be a lot of bureaucracy, the way things are folded down through the organizations. Like when you're approaching them, how do you help them see that even if there's tight budgets or things that are difficult, the value of something like this for their clients and patients? Well, we focus on the value for the agency, actually, Um, so that the... I mean, the value for the patient is that they're going to achieve a high adherence, and if they're taking their meds, we'll know. Um, but for the agency, uh, they're expecting, you know, they're going to, they're they're only realizing, let's say, in an in a an agency the size of about four thousand patients, active patients, they're going to be making or they're expecting to make around twenty twenty one million dollars per year. But because of dropout and staff turnover, which is also at a generally high rate, uh, they're going to only earn about 14 million. So that 14 million leaves 7 million on the table for that agency. But with what we say is that, well, we'll help keep those patients engaged. But in addition to that, we're going to trigger a whole set of interventions and other activities like monthly medication monitoring and um, med reviews that will allow, that are all billable activities uh, that can then go on and and lead to 24 million in revenue for that agency. So with exactly the same people, they're doing better for patient outcomes and they're gaining more revenue. And and in fact, because the staff is intervening and not bringing someone out of crisis, but just like a 30 minute conversation about an alteration to their medication regimen, then everything's gonna be great. Uh, They're gonna feel very satisfied with it. Right. So it's not only about the patients and the revenue, but reducing the staff staffing turnover because staff doesn't feel so like in crisis mode and they're not able to achieve. And what we also know is you leave one behavioral health organization, you go to another one that's unlikely to be a magic one that's operating so much better. Right. We know we have a lot of dysfunction in that in those operational areas. Yeah, the way the uh, I the way I think about it or through our discovery interviews over over the last few years uh, is that you're expecting to come out of say as a licensed social worker uh, with 20 patients, uh, 20 people on your on your roster uh, that you can visit everybody every week for the time you're allowed uh, to bill for. But what happens is you end up with 60 people because somebody just left and so they're splitting you get extra people. So now you're only seeing people every three weeks. So that means that someone who needs more visiting than that uh, is going to be in, fall off into crisis, and you're not going to know it. 
And then when you finally discover that they didn't show up for their appointment, now you're going to try and help them get back in and say that takes five hours of your time. Well, that's five people that you can't help that week. And now they're into the week four and, and that just keeps happening. Eventually you have so many people in crisis, you feel very liable for that. And so you pick up and start over where at least you have a clean slate. I think that's kind of how I understand that to be happening. If, if people could comment on whether they think that's, that's a, valid, a valid statement or not. But I think that's how it sort of works. But with, with our system, you, you know who's doing well. So you can devote a certain amount of your day to helping people, but uh, you know, as a touch point, because you want to stay in touch and make sure everything's okay. But you really have a lot more time to help the people who are, who are about to go into crisis because you can be informed. And it really changes just the whole nature of the practice. In the same way that that, uh, that Star's tone about Tom, the, the staff then suddenly knows, oh, that, that gentleman who doesn't recognize his son still remembers stuff. He knows, he remembers his father's name, for example. So he's still in there somewhere. So I'm gonna I'm gonna treat him more like a person, uh, right? Yeah, that so it's that like, like, like a big tears lead. me up, yeah, because that's what it's about, right? Is how do we humanize humans who are in these various states of crisis, whether it's your mental health crisis, whether it's dementia, declining, all these things. Yeah, we can become, and I don't think anyone in healthcare means to, but when you're exposed to all this all the time, we can go into sort of autopilot also as humans. And every time we humanize someone, it brings us back to that care that you know care mindset. Yeah, it's very different to be the fireman and bringing the person out of the smoking building safe as opposed to uh, um, you know, uh, needing them to go to the hospital, right? Like that's, right. that's sort of the degree of difference. If we can intervene early enough, um, then we, we stop a lot of bad things from happening. And, and that, those things, you know, weigh on the, on the first responder as well. Right. If, if no, we exactly. stick with the metaphor. Exactly. Exactly. That is super interesting. Okay. My last question, which I always like to ask all my guests is if you could change one thing in healthcare, what would you change? Yeah, I, I think, uh, I, um, I think that the answer to that is I think I've seen that change happen over the course of when I started. Um, for, when I first started with the very old school phones that had terrible screens and uh, email was like pine uh, and, and they were really just uh, uh, like two different devices in one phone. Uh, I had a hard time convincing researchers that they could, that older adults could use these phones, grant funding organizations. And, um, and so uh, I believe that that has, we've turned a corner in that area and people no longer think that like no one over 40 can use a smartphone, uh, which was sort of the opinion of, of NIH review committees um, 20 years ago. So that's one thing that I think, and then, and then really like the silver lining of the pandemic for me uh, and trust me, there was a lot of harm in the pandemic, um, but uh, it, it opened up telemedicine in a way where where no one was willing to do it, and now it's standard procedure. And that is that is that was at least eighty percent of the hurdles that I faced in IRX Reminder, because without 
sort of an understanding that telemedicine was possible, um, this enhancement to telemedicine made no sense to anybody. I love that. I hadn't thought about it that way, obviously, as another person a long time in here and the change in the pandemic, but I hadn't thought about that, how, yeah, with RX IRX Reminder, it allows people to go, oh, I can see how this half works. Now I can actually see how this other half works. Whereas before, if you're if you're scared of telemedicine, the last thing you're going to do is add you know, uh, another thing that's remote. They don't even understand, like, how would that be possible? No one would be able to do that. Oh, I love that. Okay, where can people go to find you um, online? Uh, well, uh, irxreminder.com is one place. And then um, uh, I guess I'm listed uh, through the International Society of Gerent Technology. We, we have a, our, our World Congress is coming up. They're, they're biannual. So um, this year we'll be in Korea. We're, we're hoping that the pandemic will be uh, will allow Korea to be open, uh, yeah. but but we'll, we have a hybrid conference planned. Um, but if you want to learn uh, about oh, if you want to learn uh, if you want to learn about um, aging technology from the best practitioners in the world. Uh, from all over, uh, then, then the International Society for Gerent Technology is a great place to engage with. Awesome. So I will put all those notes in the uh, all those notes in the show notes, all those links in the show notes for everybody. Um, Tony, thank you so much for joining me here today. It's really fun to talk to you, and I love to see someone also who's working in a space where I think that not only mental health, but ger gerontology is super exciting and important work that you're doing. So thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Sam. And I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Sam Talks Telehealth as much as I have. Don't forget to subscribe and like the podcast. That way you know when the new ones are dropped. And for all of those who want to learn more about telehealth, more resources, and have a chance to work with me directly, feel free to go to telehealtheasy.com where you can find all the online courses and specialized services that I offer. We'll see you back here next time.